Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. What a wonderful time to just come and worship you and lift your name up, God. So awesome are you. Oh, Father God, just as you bring the sun to rise on us every day, God, may you work in my life every day in every way. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. We ask you bless your word this morning, God. Anoint this time with your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you can grab your Bibles and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you're doing that, I do want to say aloha and good morning first service. Isn't it great to get together to worship? Oh, to hear the voices, it just inspires me and it just moves my heart that we can sing together and give God glory. And, you know, welcome all our church Ohana online too. We want to say aloha to you guys too. And it's great that we can get together on this Sunday and be able to seek God together. Now, we're going to be finishing up the book today. We're going to be finishing up 1 Thessalonians today. Uh, We're at the last part of chapter 5, and this is going to be our 17th message. We've gone 17 message on this. We started way back in June, so I'm excited in in finishing this up. And today we're going to be looking at the last part from verse 23 to verse 28 this morning. 23 through verse 28. And the title of our message is this, Faithful to the End. Faithful to the End. To the end. You know, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, I was thinking about rainbows, actually. Uh, I, I came across this article where they named a list of five best places on the planet to see a rainbow. Rainbow, And number one, of course, is our Hawaii, right, right here, our state. Uh, of course, we see them all the time. Number two is Niagara Falls. Uh, They say, you know, from the water falling, all the water falling, the droplets, you know, are sent up into the air, the water droplets, and they make a prison with the sun, and that makes the rainbow. Number three on the list is Yosemite Falls, again, a waterfall. But the interesting thing there, at night, they have moon bowls. The light of the moon actually creates this rainbow at night. Interesting there. Number four on the list is Australia. Uh, They say on the south shore of Western Australia, there's a place called the Rainbow Coast. And, of course, there's a lot of rainbows there. Last, number five on this list is Ireland. And Ireland, I guess like Hawaii, is known for their rainbows. And I think that's why in Irish culture, right, if you, if you see a rainbow, you're lucky. Or if you follow and go to the end of the rainbow, what do you find? A pot of gold and, and a legend there. But as I'm talking about rainbows, the true meaning of the rainbow is actually given by God himself. You remember after the flood, God promised to never again destroy the earth. So as a sign of that promise, we, he set the rainbow up there. It says in Genesis 9.13, I placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. So think about this. I want to put this in your mind. Next time you see the rainbow here, you know what? You see, see it as a sign of God's faithfulness. 
to his promise. Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about here as we finish up the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, and not only that, he's going to talk about how we need to be committed and faithful to God in a few things. But overall, God will be for sure faithful to the end. That's our title this morning. Now, our outline is this. We're going to see three things in our passage. Number one is the commitment of God. Number two, the commitment for believers. And number three, the commitment to grace. So those are the three things we're going to see here in our closing passage of the book of 1 Thessalonians. So take a look with me here. Number one in our outline, the commitment of God. The commitment of God. Now, this is going to cover the first two verses here, verse 23 and 24. But let's take a look at verse 23, first of all, here. It reads, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll stop right there. Now, Paul begins here, really, as he closes out this letter, he's written to the Thessalonians there in the church in that city. He closes out with a blessing. This is like a prayer of blessing. It's his benediction, you can say. So he gives this wish, this blessing there. And he begins here by saying, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now when he mentions that God is a God of peace, it's really, the word peace is really summing up God's work of salvation in our life. If you think about it, we have peace Right with God, because no more is sin in between us and, and, and disfellowship us with the Lord. Because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we can now have a relationship with God. And so we have this peace. We are not at war, at enmity, parod in Romans, with the Lord. And we're not enemies anymore because God has brought us together through Jesus Christ and his work. So when we say, see God of peace, the first thing I want you to understand, he uses the word peace to sum it up because number one you know what we're at peace with God number two is that because of that relationship we can have the peace of God right now because of the Lord in our life his presence is in us and his peace can come into us to where hey we have peace in this troubled crazy world there's one more thing we also have peace because we know for sure we have a future in eternity and that's the peace no matter what we go through on this earth no matter uh, uh, how we we do here in living this earth it's 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 about God's work and it's about that we have this peace because of what Christ did that we have an eternity that we can go to heaven and be home in heaven so when Paul writes here now made a God of peace he's really talking about summing up the work of salvation that God has done in our life and so he says now made a God of peace himself sanctify you and we've come across this word before many times even in our study here in first thessalonians the word sanctify really means to be made holy or to be made godly and it speaks about the process i should say the ongoing process of god making us more like jesus christ so that's what it means to sanctify us so paul's praying his blessings. May, may God continue his work of salvation in making you more like Jesus Christ. But I like what he says right after that. He says, completely, completely. Now, the, the original word, the Greek word here, completely, is actually a 
combination. It's a compound word of two Greek words. And the first, the first word is actually holos, and it talks about uh, uh, entirely. It talks about, uh, some commentators say, through and through. It, it means all the way, you know, throughout all of you. And then the second word in this combo Greek word is telus. And that actually means completion. That means like uh, completion, uh, in other words, like, like finishing everything. So when Paul uses this word completely, that he may sanctify us completely, he's going to make us through and through the way he wants us to be, like Jesus, and he's going to go all the way until we're completed. So here's Paul in his wish, his benediction, his blessing for us. He's like saying, may the God who saved you make you like Jesus all the way through to his completion. So that's the idea. Now, he goes on here in verse 23, and he says, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So let's stop and think about that for a moment. Now, Paul actually uses three words here, spirit, soul, and body, to really describe, I would say, the essence of who you are. The essence of who we are. Now, understand this. Uh, there's, there's a couple views on this. There's uh, what writers say that really there's only a dichotomy. They call it a dichotomy where it's, it's just body and, and soul. And when Paul adds spirit, it, it's a synonym, synonym of soul and spirit together. But there's another thought. Uh, theologians say, no, it should be a trichotomy, three uh, uh, things about you, about your essence. And this is where we see listed spirit, soul, and body. And so some people see it as a, a, we're made up of these three things. Some say, no, it's just two because of some other scriptures we find in the Bible. But, you know, for now, let's take these as three. Just And you can study this on your own. But since Paul is, I, I feel like we can take it as three here and he's separating it out in our essence. Let's take this as three of them. So first of all, in our essence, Paul said, hey, may in your essence God make you blameless. So the first thing he mentions is spirit, our spirit. Now that speaks of your innermost person. This is the part of you that connects to God. That's the spirit in you, your spirit. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that before Jesus, before Christ in our life, we were dead in the trespasses and in a, we were dead in the trespasses in our sins. So I believe that's talking about our spirit. We had no connection with God. And then later in verse 5, Ephesians 1, he talks about that. Now, but God has made us alive from being dead in those trespasses in Jesus Christ, he's brought us alive together. And I believe that's speaking about our new creation, how we were dead in the spirit, but now we're, we're this new person. And that's that spirit part of us that connects with God. All right? Now, the second thing he mentions is our soul. Now, this speaks of our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions. That part of us, that's our soul. And you know what? That's that's the arena where the battle is. That's the arena where we make our decisions, where our desires are, 
and everything. And, and to me, that's where we battle with our old fleshly nature. And, and then we, we battle in our mind and our heart and our will and with our emotions there. So that's our soul. First Peter chapter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So that's what I see it as. Our soul is our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions. Our spirit is that inner person that connects to God. But our soul is, is that other essence of us, which is our mind, heart, will, and emotions. And then finally, number three is the body he mentions here. And that speaks, of course, of this physical part of you, which, understand this, which is how the inner person, both the spirit and soul, expresses himself. So that's how we, out in, in the physical world, how we carry ourselves, how, what we do, what we end up doing physically, and all that's how it's expressed, is through our body. And I like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 36. He said, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So your whole body, if inside of you, he was talking about, right, is good, right? And so if we have, we're, we have that connection with God in our spirit, and then in this new person, in, and the word of God, and God, Jesus in our life, our mind, our, our heart, our will, our emotions are all, you know, with God, what's going to come out? Right? How is our body going to be expressed? There's going to be light coming out. So that's how I see things, our, our, our spirit, soul, and body. So all of this is to say, Paul is saying, hey, may God work this deep work, a deep work through and through of sanctifying every part of who you are. That's the idea. This is his wish. This is his prayer here. You know, notice something here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again. Notice the order we see in verse 23. It says what? Spirit and soul and body here. You know, in the original creation, the, 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 this was what was going on. The, the spirit of man had this relationship with God, right? They walked with God and all that. But after the fall, you know what we see? We see in the world, sin reversed that order. For fallen people live for the body first, and they neglect the spirit. So think about that, right? You, I, I grew up hearing this, body, soul, and spirit. But Paul writes a different spirit, soul, and body. You know what? Sin reversed that. We're, all we're thinking about in our fallen nature is our body, the physical part, right? Oh, our soul. And the last thing in our mind is the spirit part, our connection with God. So you know what? This deep work of sanctification in our lives, God is doing is reversing that order where it's spirit first, our connection with God, and then our soul, and then the body. How about you today? Maybe you're fighting that. Maybe, maybe you're starting to see this change, and maybe that turns a light on in your mind. That, oh, I get it. I need to focus in on the spirit part of me, this new creation, my connection with God, not on the body part. I need to focus in on the Lord. All right, well then, he says next in verse 23, he goes on and he's, he says, um, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is all in preparation for when Christ returns. And when he says blameless here, he's talking about not sinlessness, but he's talking about a general godliness. See, as we grow in the Lord, right, we become more godly. As he sanctifies us, he become more holy in that sense. And we grow in our character, becomes more and more like Jesus Christ. So as we're growing in this life, as God is working in our life, he's going to keep this process going all the way to when Jesus returns, may God see that we've reached that point of godliness and then when Jesus comes back he's going to complete his work by what? Giving us that glorified body. And we talked about that, right? When Jesus comes in the rapture and takes us home we're going to be changed and be given that glorified body and that's when that will be perfected. When this whole process will be completed and I'll tell you what a wonderful hope that is for us. Do you remember our theme? Remember our theme for this whole book is finding strength in the hope of the return of Jesus. Because when Jesus returns, when we go home in a rapture, this process will be, will be finished. And that's what we talked about back in chapter, the end of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians there. And so, Paul is saying that at that point, when Jesus returns, he's going to complete his work. And look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. When it says he, he, will call, he, he who calls you, it's talking about our salvation. God reached out to you. God saved you. God put you into his plan to sanctify you. That is God's work. That's God's calling on your life. That salvation work in your life. And you know what Paul says in he who calls you is what? Is what? Faithful. Say the word. Faithful. Faithful. Know that God is faithful. That's an important word. God is going to be faithful. Do you think God is unfaithful? No, he cannot be. It's part of who he is. So he who calls you, he who saved you, he who reached out, saved you, put you, put into this plan of sanctification, that's how he calls you, he is faithful. And then it says, he will surely do it. I like what the NLT, it translates this, God will make this happen. I love that. God will make this happen. So know that. Know that. You know, we're not saved by anything that we've done. But we're saved by everything that God has done, and He's going to finish that work in us. Take a moment, turn over to the left, to Philippians. Philippians, a couple of books over. Philippians chapter 1, and we know this verse, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who begin a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing the same thing here. He's sure of this. He will surely do this. God will make it happen. What is that good thing? Our sanctification. The process, the ongoing process of, of, of making us more like Christ. And he's going to complete it when on that day of Jesus Christ when he returns and we receive our glorified body. So you see now, 
Back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul's blessing is for God to work through and through and that the Thessalonians will know for sure, count on God to complete his deep work in you. And that's the point I want to make. Count on God to complete his deep work in you. Now, I want to show you a picture I drew this morning. Can you see Can you see this? Can you see this picture? Now, I, I want you to guess, who, who's this a picture of? Who? Oh, hey, not too bad. I, didn't, I think anyone, you know, no one would, would have gotten that. I mean, I look at it, I go, uh, I don't know, one eye is bigger than the other eye, one ear smaller, or kind of monkey ears coming out. My nose looks really ugly. I don't know if that's how it is for real. And it, it just looks little deformed here. You know, and I, I look at that. What if, what if I were to, what, what if I were to um, pass out some pieces of paper and ask you guys, hey, I want you to do a self-portrait. Draw a picture of yourself. I mean, how many of you say, no way? No way, right? I mean, I, 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 would, I just did this just to show you how bad I am. But I, I would not do that because I've tried, right? I tried a long time ago when I was small. Draw a picture of myself or draw a picture of a horse. And it looks like some alien creature or something, right? So I, I know I cannot do that no matter how hard I, I try. It, it, it doesn't work. It comes out all weird and deformed. And let me tell you to, this morning, God is not like that. He doesn't make any deformities here. He doesn't. His work is perfect, thorough. And no matter what you think about yourself, nothing is too hard for what God wants to accomplish in you. Think about that. That's our hope, you guys. That's what, that's what God is doing in our life. B.B. Warfield said, God's cause is never in danger. What he has begun in the soul or in the world, he will complete until the end. And I love that because then I'm not so hung hung up on myself. Like, oh God, what are you going to do with a creature like me, right? I I mess up or, or I try and do something, but then, oh, I just deform this thing. Or I don't know, inside, I see all the weaknesses. I see all, all the junk, you know. And, and it's, I, I don't know, God. I don't, sorry, you know, you, you, all you have to work with is this thing, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, that's not with the Lord. Count on it. God, count on God to complete his deep work in you. Know this, you guys, that God is at work in each one of your lives. Know that. Be encouraged that God is doing the work, not you. And you know what? He will not stop. I mean, I'll draw something and go, oh, forget it. Throw it away, right? I try again, throw it away. God's not going to throw you away or cast you to the side. Not at all. He will not stop until he is finished. Maybe you're here today and you're... You're hurting, maybe, because you're your failures. Maybe you're discouraged because, ah, I fell again, or, or, or oh, I'm so weak, Lord. Know that Jesus died and he rose again for you. Know that when you receive Christ, you're a child of God. And, 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 and it's not an excuse to, to sin, but you know what? His blood covers all your sin. And he's here with his love saying, no, I'm still working with you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not crumpling up the paper and throwing it to the side. No. 
Know that today. And if you have never received Christ, God is with open arms saying, Come, become my child. Come, I want to love on you. I want to start this plan in your life. I want to begin to work in your life. I want to make you complete. I'll tell you what. I've tried on my own, and, and, but I know I can't. I can't be my own hero. But know this. Jesus is your hero. And he can do everything that you could never do. So come to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, this is God's commitment to you. This is the commitment of God. And he is faithful to the end. Let's go on to number two now, the commitment for believers. The commitment for believers. And here we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. Let's just read that together here. It says, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord's. Uh, to have this letter read to all the brethren. Now, in this section, Paul basically is saying, you know, as God is faithful, as God is committed, he's calling on the Thessalonians in this church now to be committed to three things here. And the first thing, and this is really our point, number one is say prayers for each other. Say prayers for each other. He says in verse 25, brothers, pray for us. Now, Paul, in all his letters, he puts prayers in them. I mean, all of them. Here in Thessalonians, we saw, and sometimes they're short. Sometimes, like in Ephesians, in the middle of it, it's a long prayer for the Ephesian church over there. And Paul's always praying. And then here he says, hey, you guys, pray for us. Pray for Paul, his missionary team, for all the Christians there. So, so what we see is Paul saying, hey, you guys, as a church, as believers, say prayers for each other. Make that important here. Be committed in that way as believers. Say prayers for each other. I like something Austin Phelps said. We are never more like Christ than prayers of intercession. And I love that. Because we know in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And since he always lives to make intercession for them. We know that, right? Jesus is praying for us right now. Jesus is praying for us every day and out of all the people that could pray for us. Isn't it great to know Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for us? The Lord is praying for us? I mean, that should give us all like security and assurance that Jesus himself. Well, Austin saying, Austin Phelps is saying, hey, we're never more like Christ in prayers of intercession. If we want to really be like Christ, then we're going to be praying for each other. We're going to say prayers for each other. The second thing that Paul says there are the commitment for believers that they need to do is verse 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So when he's saying is greet, he's saying like welcome each other basically. And then he says with a holy kiss. Now the kiss back then that was a custom as as we see in the Middle East today. I don't know if you've seen, you know, videos and stuff that they'll kiss each other, right? On the cheek as they greet one another, they're welcoming each other. And so in that same way that's what he's saying here. Well, greet one another in a physical way is really we we could put that in our minds here. He's not saying this is the command of God when you come into church you've you got to kiss each other. He's not, he, he's not saying that necessarily but according to the custom that was a physical 
way of greeting. But notice he says, not just a kiss, but a holy kiss. What does that mean? Well, you got to lay hands on your lips and pray that it becomes holy. No. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about, the word actually means like pure or genuine. So he's talking about our motive. That when we physically greet one another, may the motive in our heart be pure. And so number two, Paul is saying show love to one another in this way. Show love to one another. Be committed to give a physical greeting that shows love to one another. You know, one thing I love about Calvary Chapel when I first got saved uh, and I walk into church was it, it was this hugging church. It, it, you were greeted with hugs and big hugs and some people like squeezed you so much you, you couldn't breathe. It, I loved that when I first got saved and the Jesus movement was going on. Oh, love was flowing and people would just hug and hug when you greet, greet each other. And every time you went to church, you were hugging. Even there were some songs of, um, it was about love and unity. Everyone would just hold hands together and, and just kind of sway back and forth and worship the Lord. I mean, it was a loving church, a very physical. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Show love to one another when you greet each other. Make each other feel welcome. Make each other feel that love. And that's what I felt. I felt this love and welcome and, and unity with the people. Um, when I first got saved going to Calvary Chapel, I loved it. I loved that. You know, for some of you, uh, holy is important because for some of you, maybe, maybe you're like an extrovert and that's easy for you. Ah, hug, shake hand and all that. Or you grew up that way and you just do it. Yeah, yeah. But Paul's saying, give this holy greeting. In other words, let it, do, let it be purely, genuinely because you care for the person. Not just because you grew up that way. Yeah. Not just because it's the routine to do. That's a custom. That's what we do here in Hawaii. You know, kind of thing. No. You do it because you... You genuinely love each other in Christ. For some of you, well, it's not natural. You're introverts. Yeah? You're like, whoa, whoa. You know, you barely can look someone in the eye at all because you're more introverted. Paul is saying the same thing. You know what? Be, give a, a pure heart in that way. Maybe you have that, but the physical part is, is hard. So you know what he says? Kiss. So your word is kiss. Other guys, it's holy. Um, not saying you kiss, but physically Show your love. Paul is saying this, not me. Show one another that you uh, love one another. So, so for some of you, that's hard, and you have to step out. Well, I had to learn that, but when I first got saved, you know what? Everyone was so loving. It, it was easy, and I saw it patterned, and so now, now it's nothing to me. So whether you're extrovert or introvert, Paul is saying, show your love. Now I know we're in this time of COVID. <laughs> I know we're in this social distancing, wearing masks and stuff. But you know what? Make the effort, you know, whether it's those fist bumps or, or you know, hey, wave really big, you know. Make the effort. Go up to one another, you know. Or, or make sure, you know, I was thinking about this. With the mask, is so hard, right, to see the expression and everything. Make sure they can see the smile in your eyes, that you're happy to see the other person. So don't put this to the side. Paul is saying, show love to one another. Say prayers for one another, show love to one another. And the last 
commitment for believers is study the word together. Number three, look at verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read in all the, the brothers, to all the brothers. So the last thing is to study the word together. Now Paul says, I put you under oath. In other words, make a promise before the Lord that you will read this letter. Remember, this is a letter that was passed around to the churches there. Paul wrote it to the Thessalonica church, but it ended up being passed around to churches. And today we have his letters. And at the time the New Testament was being written, but today it's all together here in our Bible. And this is the word of God. So that's why Paul is saying, hey, make sure this is read and that the word of God goes forth in that manner as you study and hear the word together. So here's what believers have to do. The commitment for believers is to take the time to study the word together. And that's what we do, right? Every Sunday, Wednesday, um, even, you know, every time we try and get together, we have some, the word there. You know, during the 1500s, um, in the time of the Reformation, the church services in Germany were all done in Latin. Different language than the German language. They're all done in Latin because Latin was considered the holy language. So the priest would do the whole service in Latin. Even if nobody could understand, that was the holy language. Matter of fact, only the priests could study and handle the word of God. They're the only ones who could hold a Bible. They're the only ones who could read the Latin Bible because they were the priests. They were holy and people were not worthy of reading the Bible. No wonder at that time uh, uh, people were easily led astray by the religious leaders. They, they easily thought wrong thoughts of God because they weren't into the Word. So you know what happened in the Reformation? Martin Luther, he translated the Bible into German so that every person, every person in Germany could have the Bible in their own language, be able to read it, to study it, and in the church services, they read the Bible in German. They took their German Bibles out and they read that so, so that people could understand, hear, and read it in church. Crazy, isn't that? Paul is saying, look, make sure you guys read this. Make sure publicly it's read and everybody can study and understand it. And that's what we do here. That's why it's important, you know, for us to gather together and study God's Word. So the commitment for believers is the three things. Say prayers for each other, show love to one another, and study the Word together. Let's go on now to number three, the commitment to grace. The commitment to grace. Faithful to the end, we want to be with these things. The commitment of God we see, the commitment for believers, and now lastly, the commitment to grace. Verse 28, our very last verse here in First Thessalonians. The, uh, it says here in verse 28, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here's our very last verse. Paul breaks out into another blessing, another prayer, another wish upon the people in Thessalonica. And, and, and we know grace, right? I mean, grace, grace is so important in our lives. And so I was thinking how, you know, over in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. But because of God's grace, we're saved by Christ, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? And you know, because of God's grace, yeah, 
We, we can live, and by God's grace, we end up going to heaven even. But with that thought of us being sinners, think about grace this way. Justice is getting what you deserve, right? And we deserve that judgment. Mercy is not getting what you deserve because of our sin. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's God's love, his favor, his blessing. And so Paul's last words is, is, knowing, is saying this. May God's grace be with you wherever you go. Knowing this, that we're sinners. But everything is by God's grace. And so his greatest wish is, is that God's grace, the grace of Jesus, go with you. And you know what? This is the commitment to grace that God has for you and I. One of the, my Greek lexicons, it's a Greek dictionary, is by a guy named Spiros Zodiatis. He was born in Greece. He became a saved, a Bible teacher, an evangelist, and he, he became this scholar, this authority on the Greek New Testament. And he put out a book on, on, on all the words, all the strong words, defining them all. And I love what he said uh, about this word grace that we read here in verse 28. The Greek word is cherish, cherish, or cherish, or like by cherish, cherish. And Zodiatus defines it this way. A favor done without expectation of return, the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited. Favor. I love that. And I read that to you because I want you to get that in your mind. That's the commitment of grace. That's what God gives to you in our lives. And take one more note here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, you know what it says? It, it says, Paul, Sylvanius, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace. That's verse 1 of this book. And then verse 28, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What do you see here? We see this book started with grace and ended with grace. So our last point is this. As it is with God, Paul puts grace at the beginning and grace at the end. I have to tell you that um, God's been so gracious in my life. And, and I was thinking about how God has showed me what grace is through my wife. I mean, out of all the people in the world who know me the best and who I've treated the worst in our marriage is my wife. Yet, look, she's still here. And you can see her smiling eyes. She still loves me, right? I was thinking about how much I put her through in my OCD-ness sometimes. Uh, um, you know what? When we first got married, I, I don't know why, I, I focused on toothpaste, I focus on the toothpaste tube. See, I grew up, you roll up the toothpaste tube, you know, from the bottom. She grew up, you just squeeze it, you know. And I would roll it up, have a measured amount, you know, my OCD-ness on my toothbrush. She'd just go, you know, and put it on. And, and that would bother me so much. And, and oh, I was really hard on her. I mean, that's just a picture of, of me, but, but you, how I treat her, but... She's still here. She still loves me. And you know what? She's been a great example of grace and what God's grace is in my life. You know, the funny thing is that um, 
Today, I'm the one who squeezes it in the middle, and she's the one who rolls it up. <laughs> Funny how, how that works. But that's how God works, you guys. And so from the beginning of our marriage all the way to the end, Kristen keeps giving me grace. Well, that's with God. You're saved by grace, you're sanctified by grace, and you're going to be taken home into glory by grace. And know that the work of God in your life is not you, but God doing that work. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, once said, I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So understand, God's grace is what we need. God's grace is what he, what he gives. And by God's grace, he will never give up on you. And even if that seems it's taking a while, God will never give up on his work in you. I'll close with this story. Last, actually, last year, July, this author, theologian, apologist, Norman Geisler, graduated from this life and went home to be with the Lord. And his salvation story is that this, it, it came, his salvation came after he was invited by some neighbor kids to go to church when he was small for um, Sunday school. But it took over 400 Sundays before he got saved and gave his life to Jesus. Every week, he was faithfully picked up by a bus driver. Week after week, he came to church, but he never made a commitment to Jesus. But it was during his senior year in high school, after being picked up uh, for church over 400 times, he finally gave his life to Christ. But I wonder, what if that bus driver had given up on Geisler at like 395 or 399. Ah, forget it. What if, what if the bus driver was like, this kid's going nowhere spiritually. Ah, oh, forget it. Why should I waste my time on him? Thank God he's not like that. Thank God. Because he knows you are not a waste of time to him. By God's grace, he'll never give up. He will complete his work in you. So count on it. God is faithful to the end. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. It is so precious to us, God, because it's you speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be our own hero. Jesus, you are our hero. And so we look to you, God, to do your work in your way and your will, Lord. Just help us to submit to what you're doing and give more and more of our lives to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.